from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. A presidential pardon. I hereby pardon. I hereby pardon. Yes. The story behind these free birds. Digging into the data. Um, we do our fair share of testing on our farm. How pouring over numbers now could help create a recipe for higher yields next year. As a new labor deadline approaches for the nation's railroads, the latest on what's at stake. Right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Michelle Rook. Clinton is on assignment. In just over two weeks, the U.S. could be facing a nationwide railroad strike. It comes after America's largest rail union, representing conductors, rejected a tentative labor deal with the railroads. But the nation's second largest rail union, representing engineers, ratified its own contract. Now, in total, eight of the 12 unions have ratified the tentative agreement brokered with help from the Biden administration, but four rejected it. Now, in order for the contract to go into effect, all unions must ratify it. Now the negotiations are up against a Friday, December 9th strike deadline. And if even one of the 12 railroad unions goes on strike, the other 11 would honor the picket lines, shutting down the railroads. It's a big concern for agriculture because according to the Association of American Railroads, railroads transport 1.5 million carloads of grain each year. Mike Steenhook of the Soy Transportation Coalition says given the low water conditions along the inland waterway system, having this big question mark regarding rail service could not come at a worse time. Railroads have shown a commitment and a willingness to reach agreements based on the recommendations of President Biden's Presidential Emergency Board, and that's something that we stand by. I would say that I'm confident we can get a path forward for all 12 of our unions to have ratified agreements before any sort of work stoppage occurs. If the unions can't reach new deals before the strike deadline, Congress could order the railroad workers to remain on the job or return to work. And besides exports, some imports are also picking up, especially orange juice. Bloomberg reporting the U.S. is stocking up on OJ from Brazil following Hurricane Ian. And as citrus greening disease continues to impact Florida's citrus growers. Brazil's Secretariat of Foreign Trade reporting shipments to the U.S. are up 58 percent for the first four months of the season compared to a year ago, which could also drive up costs by as much as 30 percent here in the U.S. and in Europe by early next year. Ahead of Hurricane Ian hitting Florida, experts had forecasted the lowest orange juice crop in the state in almost 80 years, while U.S. stocks of OJ have hit their lowest in 45 years. Ongoing protests in Brazil are impacting the movement of grain right now. Reuters reporting truckers and other demonstrators are protesting the defeat of President Jair Bolsonaro in Mato Grosso. It says the protesters are blocking or partially blocking highways near farms and grain processing facilities. Earlier this month, you'll remember over 300 federal highways were reported partially or fully blocked, including the BR-163, the so-called Suibin Highway. Brazil's top public prosecutor authorizing the governor of Mato Grosso to mobilize police to clear the roads. Crime on the farm. Authorities say they have a suspect in mind after four people were found dead and one injured at a marijuana farm in rural Oklahoma. At last report, no arrests had been announced. The Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation believes the suspects knew the victims. They were all found dead Sunday night at the 10-acre farm west of Hennessy. 
That's about 55 miles north of Oklahoma City. Authorities have not identified the victims or how they were killed. The one person who was injured was taken to an Oklahoma City hospital. The case is being investigated as a quadruple homicide. Many people in farm country may be getting ready to hit the road for the Thanksgiving holiday. Meteorologist Matt Yersavik is here to help you plan. Yeah, Michelle, a lot of people hitting the airways and the roadways, but we want to take a look at Thanksgiving travel and it's going to be relatively quiet on this Wednesday all across the country. Some showers down in the south and some snow up in the northwest, but we're going to start here by looking at the northeast parts of the Great Lakes as well. Take a look at this. A lot of green out there for those airports, not expecting any delays in this region. High pressure will have some sunshine out there and then if we head down down to the southeast. Cold front coming across Florida may cause a few light delays there with regards to weather. Otherwise, just one more small system starting to get going in the center part of the country. Maybe a few delays for Dallas and Oklahoma City. And then some wintry weather in the Rockies could cause a few delays from Salt Lake City to Denver. Even back up into the northern Rockies. Portland and Seattle could be a little breezy there along the west coast. Something we'll continue to keep an eye on. Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. And Talon Shin helping to bring in the cotton harvest near Bentley, Kansas. He says he's seeing 1,600 to 1,700 pounds of yield on irrigated land. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. The recipe for high yields on Ag Day is brought to you by Tendovo Soybean Herbicide, raising the pre-emergence bar one clean row at a time. See how Tendovo delivers weed control without compromise at SyngentaUS.com backslash Tendovo. With the harvest wrapping up, farmers will quickly transition into looking at performance data to make some key agronomic decisions for the 2023 growing season. Many of them will also utilize information from their own on-farm trials and from university research to help them develop a recipe for higher yields. Kevin Kalb has broken the 400 bushel mark for corn various times on test plots on his farm. The 12-time NCGA Yield Contest winner says the competition pushes him to try new things. You know, a lot of guys don't like, don't believe in yield contests, but I tell you what, that's where you learn what hybrids, what corn responds to by doing different, by pushing the envelope. I mean, we probably kill 10, 15 acres every year of trying certain nutrients to know what's too much and what's not enough. So. Um, we do our fair share of testing on our farm. Kelp says they also run their own hybrid plots in various on-farm trials and are relentless in their search for higher yields. If there's something new out there that we think can give us a, a boost in the arm, you know, on, on these yields, we try it. You know, and, and normally we try it two years in a row before we take it to um, the rest of the farm acres. Illinois farmer Alex Head says it's important to run a host of side-by-side -side trials on his farm to keep up with the ever-changing environment. Things change, so you got to be on the on the on the leading edge of um, changing and looking at new practices. So, so every year we usually try something different. This year, that included planting early maturing soybeans. To be honest, they've been some of our better beans so far. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking at plot 
looking at planting some more early beans next year. And with the 2022 harvest in the rearview mirror, Head says he'll evaluate all the data from their trials to determine the hits and misses. Well, it's mostly an old harvest. We got yield maps and all that. We'll sit out and look at yield maps and planting maps and compare them and see what happens, see what we like, see what we didn't like, and go from there. Leading land-grant universities are also helping farmers crack the high-yield code through their research. One of the things that I'm working, it's a, a national project that I'm working with um, called Science for Success with uh, soybean agronomists from across the U.S. And we're looking at um, using nitrogen and sulfur um, and if that can help us improve nitrogen fixation within that soybean plant. He says it's still early, but the data is already showing some important trends. We can apply a little bit of nitrogen and sulfur and it doesn't necessarily hurt the nitrogen fixation from the soybean plant. But if we apply too much nitrogen in, in particular, um, that will you know, drastically decrease you know, the nitrogen fixation that occurs within the plant. Lick says Iowa State has a network of growers across the state conducting on-farm trials on new products, practices, and technology to find the recipe for high yields. Be looking for this in your mail. USDA is sending out information about the 2022 Census of Agriculture. The agency says the Ag Census, which is taken every five years, is the nation's only comprehensive and impartial ag data for every state, county, and territory. Officials say by completing the survey, producers across the country can tell their story and help generate opportunities to better serve them and future farmers. When you think about the census, it measures the structure of U.S. agriculture, how much land is involved, how many producers, the value of sales, demographic characteristics. These data are to measure uh, for this use for decision makers uh, to measure the, re the results of disasters, weather conditions, the economic issues and conditions affecting producers. So it's very, very broad and very comprehensive uh, in the ways that it can be used. Officials say the fastest way to get it done is to go online at agcounts.usda.gov and enter the code mailed to you. Paper questionnaires will be sent out next month. You only need to respond once, either online or by mail. Responses are due February 6th. Grain and livestock futures ended mostly lower after trading two-sided in a light pre-holiday trading day. We'll have market analysis coming up. And later, the latest two turkeys speared from being part of your Thanksgiving meal in the country. Mostly lower day on Tuesday and Grain and Livestock Futures Trade. Joining me is Randy Martinson with Martinson Ag. And grains drifting, Randy, and certainly uh, looked like some very thin pre-holiday trade. That's exactly what it was. You know, it, we kind of thought the market could see a little bit of a push here on Tuesday, you know, as we're going, you know, one day left before the holiday break, but just couldn't seem to hold it together. As once the selling started, it was just hot, tough for anything to stop or get in its way. Now, this market is making a transition from being supply focused to demand focused, and that's also been a bit of a problem here, hasn't it? Especially on the export front for corn and wheat. It has. I mean, you know, you're right. We're wrapping up uh, with the, the harvest progress. I mean, that's pretty much done for soybeans. We'll be done with corn by next week. And right now, as we try to transition over to the demand side, wheat and corn exports have been slow at, at best. Corn less than 50% of where we were last year. Beans are still holding up, but they've lost ground too. They're only sitting about equal with last year's pace. So it tells us that, you know, either one, the stronger dollar has hurt our exports a little bit, or we're seeing the, the lack of demand from China really setting up in our markets. Yeah, as 
At the same time, we hear about China's COVID concerns, more lockdowns, rising COVID numbers. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, the report this morning said that it's like 20% of China's economy uh, is in some stage of a lockdown. You know, they are put in more restrictions on Shanghai because of a big outbreak here over the weekend. So, you know, three, almost four million people in lockdown again. So that certainly is hurting the, the demand side, especially when you look at for our soybeans and for our beef and, our, and pork. And pile on top of that now a possible rail strike and you really have, you know, like a trifecta, don't you? You do. And, you know, I know the market had kind of forgotten about the rail strike, but now that they we're seeing these unions vote again, I think four of them have voted down the agreement and now it's become more real. And we're getting closer to that December 9th date, which is kind of the deadline. That's kind of uh, the line in the sand, you might say. Yeah. And if basis has been holding the market together, basis is going to widen out substantially if we have a rail strike, too, isn't it? Oh, it will, because that will certainly cause more of the product will have to be moved by truck. And now right. we, you know, we're hearing, to, you know, about the diesel shortages in some areas. So, yeah, it, it's kind of, uh, like you said, it, it's the worst of all storms starting to brew. All right. Thanks so much for joining us with analysis. Randy Martinson, Martinson Ag. We'll have Ag Weather coming up. want to start by taking a look at our jet stream. We've had a lot of temperatures kind of fluctuating across the country with winter weather about two weeks ago, and now we've got some warmth back into the area. But we've got to take a look at this as we head deeper into uh, kind of the start of the month of December coming up pretty quickly. So here's a look as we head through Wednesday. Not much going on, but we will be looking at a big dip in that jet stream, a system starting to get going back in the Four Corners region, and that could pull some colder air in. We could be looking at maybe some snow on the northern side of that there, parts of the southern Rockies and central plains, and then that's going to pull some warmer air into it as it slides off to the east. But then watch as we head into next week, a couple of big dips in the jet stream out to the west. That's going to pull some cooler air in while allowing the warmth to surge up the east coast. So something we'll continue to keep an eye on there. But here's a look at the temperatures as we head through this afternoon. 40s up to the north, 40s and 50s over in the west, 60s and 70s down to the south and still nearing 90 in Miami. Now there will be some chillier air in the east as we head through tomorrow morning. Same thing back in the Rockies where some of the areas are going to drop below the freezing mark, but then it'll get warmer again, especially in the south and in parts of the east. Warmer air surging out ahead of those chances for rain. Meanwhile, some cooler air on the backside of those systems back in the Rockies and the Pacific Coast. So here's a look at our national map here. You've got this system here moving through the middle part of the country. That's going to start to pull a lot of moisture in with it and then some cooler air starting to pull some showers and snow showers into the Rockies. This system slowly going to move eastward and eventually could be seeing some snow on the backside of that system. But otherwise, most of the rainfall going on in parts of the south and up the east coast, something we're going to continue to watch, only looking at snowfall there in the uh, parts of the Rockies and potentially the central plains. And we'll continue to track that right here on Ag Day. And that's a look around the country. Now let's take a look at the weather where you live.
Cranberry, Pennsylvania, sunny and mild, a high near 49 degrees. Heading to Turkey, Texas, mostly cloudy and mild, a high of 65 degrees. And Pie Town, New Mexico, sunny and breezy, a high near 49. Weed Warriors on Ag Day is brought to you by Fierce, a pre-emergence herbicide with three formulations. Learn more at valent.com fierce. Always read and follow label instructions. The battle against weeds is typically against the usual cast of characters, but weed scientists in Iowa say they've confirmed a new species popping up in fields. First identified in 2016, Asian copperleaf has been confirmed on farms again this season, this time found in soybeans. Asian copperleaf is native to China, Australia, Japan, and other countries in that region. In the Spurge family, both times it has been found, the weed was growing in thick weed patches, but wasn't found until the crop was harvested. Retired Iowa State weed specialist Bob Hartzler says it's worthy of concern. We, we really don't know how big of a problem it could potentially be. What we are concerned, you know, it's native to China, um, it's also, I think, in Australia, and it's it's evolved resistance to several herbicides, including glyphosate and the, the group 14 herbicides, the PPO inhibitors. So, you know, most plants, if they're not a very good weed, don't evolve resistance to herbicides. So that this has evolved her, herbicide resistance in other cropping systems. So it's, it's something to keep an eye out for. I don't see it becoming another water hemp or velvet leaf but it looks like it has the ability to uh, spread and potentially increase growers, you know, weed control costs. He says the Asian copper leaf seems to emerge late, fills in areas with thin stands, and does better in cooler temperatures. Now, if a farmer finds it in their field, he recommends harvesting that field last so there's less potential to spread it to other fields. Coming up next, we're talking turkey, about a couple of turkeys you won't be seeing on this year's Thanksgiving table next. The holiday season is getting underway across the country and at the White House where President Biden hosted the National Thanksgiving Turkey Presentation, Chris Wynn is in Washington to talk turkey. President Joe Biden making much ado about stuffing at the 75th anniversary of the National Thanksgiving turkey presentation with some political puns. The votes are in. They've been counted and verified. There's no ballot stuffing. There's no foul play. And a pair of poultry pardons for chocolate and chip. Based on their temperament and commitment to being productive members of society, I hereby pardon. I hereby pardon. Yes. I hereby pardon chocolate and chip. The Birds of Honor received VIB treatment on their trot to Washington, basting in glory at the Willard Hotel and gobbling up attention everywhere they went. President Biden dishing out exciting opportunities for the now free birds. Receiving their presidential pardons today, chocolate and chip are going to head to one of the nation's great basketball schools and research universities, North Carolina State. 
while also serving a message of gratitude to the country. We can't forget the reason for Thanksgiving in the first place, being grateful for what we have and grateful for fellow Americans who we may never meet. And capping off the festive day, the official Christmas tree also arriving at the White House. In Washington, I'm Chris Wynn reporting. The turkeys weighed in at 46 and 47 pounds. They were raised by the National Turkey Federation Chairman Ronnie Parker in Monroe, North Carolina. Well, that's all the time we have this morning. Thanks for watching. For all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Michelle Rowe.